morning, Matt, and welcome to the Uncovering Elite Performance Podcast. John Joe, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks, mate. Um, just want to wish you also a very Merry Christmas as we are now, now on the cusp of uh, of the holidays. And to you, and we find you in your now native Sydney at home today. Allegedly, yeah, I'm in Sydney at the moment, which is good. So um looking forward to some family time, but obviously uh spent a fair bit of time uh traversing APJC um as well as headquarters back in America. So uh, it's nice to be home for a couple of weeks and enjoying what I think is the best of uh, uh the Christmas experience you can have. Some people like their snow. I've I've grown up in that as we'll discuss, but you can't be beat uh the beach barbecue and the surf uh, in summertime as far as I'm concerned for Christmas. Absolutely. And travel is something we'll we'll get to very much um very much in the ingredients for a high-powered tech sales leader uh, role these days, nothing you're doing a lot. Um, and we'll talk about what that entails, the, the world of tech sales. We know that it's um, a high-performance industry. It's very disciplined, very competitive. Um, and we'll, we'll look at your career today and the, the organizations you've worked for and led. But maybe we can start back at the beginning and you could talk to me about the, your upbringing and the foundations that led you firstly to pick a career in such a uh, pursuit such as tech sales and how it's helped keep you in this game at the uh, relative top level for so long. Yeah, so look, I mean, um, uh, my accent's a giveaway. Uh, I was actually born in the UK and spent my, you know, my formative years in the UK before moving to Asia with my family. But I mean, I guess in summary, I came from, you know, a, a very loving home, but a, but a home that was full of hardworking parents who instilled the sense of, you know, a day's hard work is a day's output and was never really um, one that was given, uh, given much without the work to get to earn it. Uh, I guess one of the key things I'd say is a big call out is the, is the what I refer to as the the, the OG in my family, which is my mum. I mean, she was actually uh, a salesperson a long time before. She was actually the first female sales executive uh, in TV in the UK, uh, back for ATV and Scottish Television, which became ITV back in 1969, 70, 71, 72. Um, so, uh, so she she was the OG in that space, and in fact, it was her who was the predominant driving force to support um, the initial uh, success that, that my family had in their entrepreneurial aspects in their business. Good side note, though, um, is that uh, Scottish television's offices were on the same street as where Apple, TV, Apple um, Studios were for the Beatles. So that famous last uh, last scene of Get Back on the Roof, you'll actually, if you look carefully, if you knew my mum, you'll see her on the other roof. So, uh, so there she's you go. She's in that, that documentary on the final show. Wow. On the very back there. So, yeah. So, look, you know, for me, um, uh, in summary, you know, entrepreneurial environment, the really interesting thing was that my parents never actually saw risk in what they set out to achieve. They never considered the risk in things. They just went and did it. And I think that having that as a kind of a mindset kind of doesn't give, doesn't give you a plan B whether that's right or wrong is up for individuals. But an innate belief in being successful, I think, was one that was instilled, but also the idea that you have to put the hard work in to get something out. So that was kind of where where, where I came from in, in, in that sense. Um, you know, and then moving forward, really, um, I, I actually always wanted to, uh, to join um, the military as, as, as a kid. Um, my plan was always to to join the uh, to join the air force. I had a long history of the air force outside of my father, outside of my father, my my father's father had been in the air force. My mum's dad had been a very quite a famous fighter pilot and test pilot. My great grandfather was the first warranted officer in the RAF from the RFC. So long history and lineage in that. But um, unfortunately, there were some some preclusions that didn't allow me to do that. So I kind of always knew I didn't want to have a job where I was sitting at a desk um, working the nine to five. And I guess you could kind of say, what's the next most thrilling thing to rushing around flying an aeroplane for uh, for the service? Is it tech sales? I don't know, but it certainly should, <laughs> certainly makes sure you're doing something different every day. But what I would say is that having learned to fly um, to some level anyway, there's a lot, there are some similarities, right? So planning, structure, discipline are all are really important in both of those aspects. Um, but also then the ability to be able to risk manage uh, to be able to uh, adjust and change to things that happen in time are super important. And 
you know, in, like a lot of things, working in a team environment, uh, working with different people. Uh, we see this in sport as well as what I wanted to do for a living. You know, not everyone is the shiny blue-eyed boy uh, scoring goals, winning uh, Formula 1 races or flying airplanes. It's usually the huge team behind you. Uh, that get you there that don't get the accolades that you need to really get around you um, to be successful as a team. Risk-taking, you mentioned, a really key part of entrepreneurship and, and sales to an extent. How did that manifest in your upbringing when you talk about there was a, a culture within your family of taking risks? Well, what I'd say is it's it's, it's not risk-taking a la, you know, um, uh, throwing yourself out of a tree and seeing if you'll bounce or break, break a limb uh, is considered risk-taking, right? You look at the options and you consider what is the upside and what is the downside from it. Um, I think that uh, from a from a parental point of view in the industry that they, that they were in, it was the ability that allowed them to see where there was adjacencies and opportunities outside of that existing market that then gave them first mover advantage to really set the ground light and groundwork for their in, in their industry, so you know they were in um, uh, the media industry and in, in those days things like TV production and special effects and things were, were still relatively new and groundbreaking. So to take what would be their traditional industry, decide to invest or decide to start those kind of areas of business, which were very unique, which which were not typically were done within the industry at the time, was unique and groundbreaking. Um, to focus in areas of specialisation, such as media buying, so buying media for, for different services and so on. But focusing in a healthcare space, for example, again, was unique in its, in, in its space. It wasn't done before. And I think about that unencumbency of, um, of the weight of what, you, you know, what, what we do allows you sometimes some clarity to, to kind of to push forward and, and, and do things that, that, that are outside of the bounds. And I think we see that in all people who kind of um, uh, push the limits and are market movers and change the paradigm. What philosophy have you taken from your formative years from your family that that's carried through into your own career and your own life, if you could boil it down? I think integrity. Um, I think that uh, it's something my, my old man always says, which I, which I won't repeat on the podcast because uh, this is a G-rated program. But, you know, essentially, no matter what you are in your, in your life and what you do, when you stand there in the morning brushing your teeth, having a shave or, or brushing your hair, it is you that is really all you have, right? Um, I don't care what you have on pieces of paper on the wall. I don't care what experience you have. It's what you present yourself each day as a person, how you present yourself with your people, how you present yourself to your customers, your shareholders, whatever it might be, that is the defining factor that differentiates yourself. That is the, um, that's the, uh, the currency that I think sometimes gets forgotten. Um, trust the honesty, respect for yourself and other people are really important character traits to have around that. And lastly, what I'd say is that um, to seek out people that are like you but also can challenge you and also be um, be better than you to offset the things that you can and can't be. I think too many people want to be all things. And I think one of the things that I've, I, I've it's taken me a while to learn but my parents always taught me was that, you know, be good at a couple of things that you really, that you enjoy doing, and then surround yourself with people who are good at the things that you're not good, and that's going to elevate you as a, as, as as a collective. Is that an easy feat in the sales profession? Uh, as a, as an individual contributor, or as a, man, a line manager, as, or as a as an individual contributor, I'm, I'm thinking about you. Obviously, need to go in and um, <clears throat> show what you can do, and there's I, I think there's all yeah. there's, there's potentially an element of going in and acting like you can do everything. So you want to win the gig, right? Yeah. And you want to yeah. show your leader what you can do. Um, yeah. But being vulnerable enough to say, look, I need some support with this. Is that an easy thing to do in the sales profession? Look, I, I wouldn't couch it as easy. Um, I think it's a maturity game, right? Um, I think it's more about experience and maturity. And I would say for myself, I was a very, um, uh, uh, I was very much in a hurry, wanted to prove myself, and perhaps was um, uh, lacked lacked at the core of me the confidence of who I was, and so therefore you kind of espouse a, uh, a kind of a look of who you are as opposed to you know being that that quiet-minded person. And I think that can be a legacy of, 
of experience. I think that can be a legacy of more importantly mentorship and leadership. Um, I, I know for myself um, that I've had some wonderful leadership experiences, but they've also been pocketed perhaps with some pretty poor um, uh, management experiences. And the funny thing is I've actually learned just as much from those poor experiences as those great experiences. I think that for me, I had one particular experience quite early in my career, which was probably not beneficial for me. Uh, and that was, the, and I think that's a really important thing to have is to, what people want some feedback is to really seek early on in the career that you, if you choose this industry, is to really seek seek your mentor, seek your Obi-Wan Kenobi, if you will, um, uh, who's going to give you that time, that effort. It's not necessarily, I would not focus on, the brand of the company necessarily per se, I would focus on, um, you know, where you're trying to go to, what your industry, what, what, what you love, where you see an opportunity, but also most importantly, who can actually buy into helping you take you on that journey. Right. <clears throat> We're going to fast forward to the current state of play in tech sales, Matt. Could you talk me through the current environment and what it's like out there for sales leaders and sales reps in 2023 um yeah look um i think in summary there are things we can control in our world and there are things we can't control in our world i think in the world of sales we're really bad at being comfortable with the things we can't control time um changes in markets um, processes that, that, that change around us. And I think that's a key thing. Obviously, we've seen such huge macroeconomic changes in the last two to three years, which were a long time coming, right? I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to have gone through a few cycles, whether it was a dot-com boom, whether it was the GFC, uh, obviously COVID, which was actually very good for some people, but then that, that obviously hyperinflated uh, the market that we had, and then now the inevitable downturn that we've had. Um, I think there's a couple of things to think about. So you've got the macroeconomic indicators that are pushing headwinds from co companies, companies that need to protect their revenue base, companies that need to ensure they're getting good value and greater compliance and governance around that. I think then that from a uh, an industry point of view, um, the one thing that, that the customers have more than they've ever had before is choice. Um, you know, in, in my experience, in my industry, the last 25 odd years, going from a few hundred vendors in the cyberspace to thousands of vendors gives, gives customers choice. Um, I think also with that choice means the customers have become far more attuned to what they get as far as best value is concerned. Long are the days of the old sales mentality of, well, if we don't get the order today, Mr. Customer, the price is going up 30% because the customer didn't have any, any other ways to go. Um, you know, it's really about the fact that um, you need to be outcome-based with your customer. Or you, and I actually prefer to think more about clients than customers. I think it's an important differentiation. Customers, by definition, are transactional. Um, we talk about customers in our industry, but we need to be more focused on clients because clients are people we have a relationship with. Um, so, you know, we have to be attuned to multiple stakeholders in the organisation. It needs to be stakeholders around, you know, whether it's the finance department, whether it's compliance and governance, like I said, whether it's marketing and so on. So those buyers are really important in understanding that journey. And primarily it's because we're out of the, we're out of the basement and we're in the boardroom. So um, it's really important from a sales point of view that we understand what the customer is doing uh, in totality, like I said. Um, having an understanding of the different buying personas and what it means to them um, and understanding the customer has choice. And so we really need to be focused on the outcome and understanding what the customer's trying to get to in order to do that. And I actually, frankly, think that's fantastic, right? Because I think the more, from, a, from, from, a, from what we do in a sales point of view, um, salespeople, in my opinion, when I look, for, look at people and look for the kind of people, there's things you can teach, there's things you can't. But the Thing that's really important is, is, is innate curiosity and innate curiosity in how things work, why things are the way they are. And what we do now, because we're not just sitting with, you know, with tech buyers, we're sitting across the business, gives, you know, salespeople the ability to have such greater understanding of how markets work, how verticals work, how customers work. It expands their repertoire 
and their capability as well. So what that does for them as an individual is it, fun, it, it makes them far more marketable. It increases their net value to market as well, uh, which I think is fantastic. And that's expected from the buyers, that level of engagement and that level of knowledge these days. I mean, I spend more time, you know, obviously um, uh, my experience has been predominantly, you know, moving through virtualization, data center and, and security over the last 25 years of the majority of that security. You know, um, I remember having conversations when I started security decades ago that was it was it was it was an afterthought it was not a thing and i think the you know again i'll use uh, i'll use an analogy when every rear wing and side pod of the world's most expensive weekly sport being formula one is is uh covered with a some form of cyber company you know where that market has moved to um but again that conversation is far is is has 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 hyper accelerated um from where it was 20 odd years ago <clears throat> How important is having the right team, the right people in seat in today's selling environment? My team is everything. Nothing's changed, right? I mean, in my personal opinion, um, where I've seen the best teams is where finding the right balance of individuals, their motivation, how they vibrate off each other, how you build a culture is everything. You know, um, we may be in the, the line I always use, which is where I say we may be in the technology industry, but we're actually in the people business. Um, you know, uh, people buy from people, they still do. But when I say they buy from people, they buy from people in the understanding, like I said, you know, outcome-based selling, getting across the different buying centres, using, you know, tools like Medic to really to, to, to get to the nut, the nut of what make, what's made customers think getting hold of discretionary budgets that are vaporized, ensuring customers have choice, but understand that with that choice, you are identifying why you should be the choice for them. So for me, team is everything. But that but that said, you know, you can't have a team of all AAA plus players because that just ends up, you know, with an actual, yeah, that, that, that's just a psychopathic work environment. You've really got to pick and choose your people um, for the skill sets they have, for the verticals they have, and make sure they offset each other. And that's not just in sales, right? For me, sales, we're all in sales. So I think, you know, uh, when teaming up um, individual contributors with their SE, I've done that many times, and, I, I, and, and aligning those different personalities is actually the secret source for success, along with BDR teams and then the right marketing people and solving to get the right to get the right ecosystem, but it's all about the team, um, you know, uh, and, you know, and then ensuring that when you collect the right team, there is also the requirements that the correct uh, training, management, mentoring, and coaching goes with that, right? Um, yes, that, 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 that those things need to intersect really well for, for, for overarching success. So what does that look like, the AAA player? The Cristiano Ronaldo, the superstar on the team. What do those other characters look like, and what do they bring in value that people might not be thinking about? Because everybody talks about just hiring AAA players, right? Um, but we know that teams that you're saying that these teams vibrate and they work better as a cohesive team because of the other qualities. What are the other types of characters that add to that team? Well, so I, I mean, I, I would couch high performance individuals to differentiate against perhaps triple a type personalities um there's a place and a time for everyone and everything i mean i've, I've my my personal belief um without going on a tangent is i've seen i've inherited teams and inherited individuals that perhaps weren't performing and the immediate response has always been that person's got to go and my kind of view on that personally is always been well companies take time to interview these people multiple times and we put them in a role then we assume they're not being successful well perhaps we're not deploying them correctly perhaps we're in the wrong role etc so i think finding the right role for the right person is super important but i think for the cohesity of the team depending on what you're trying to do and where your maturity is it's really important to ensure that the those triple a players or those high performance individuals are not single-minded individuals who are just entirely focused on themselves or if they are you deploy them in a way that is not at the detriment of the greatest of, of the greater team because you can sometimes if you're not careful with that 
start seeing behaviors that are counter to what you're trying to create from a whole team. And that is just as dangerous as a, as, as a negative performer. I have, you know, I, I have I, I know a, a, um, a toxic performer who is a triple A personality can be just as damaging as a poor performer. And you use the Cristiano Ronaldo example, his last stint at Man U is a classic example of that, right? Um, uh, I think that you know any personality is going to be tri- is going to be a, a triple A. They still need to have an element of humility. They still need to have an element of wanting to be part, understanding what the team is. But you as their as you as their kind of their their, their leader or their second line leader also has to understand they don't need to be micromanaged, right? They, they all need to be managed in different ways and looked at in different ways. That's so a real balancing act. It's a real balancing act. You know, allow them to run, but don't allow them to get off the leash. You know, too far. You know, and I think that's that's also behoven upon. Uh, their manager or their, their leadership team to also kind of rein them in sometimes as well to not allow them to get too far off piste. And when you're building a culture, how do you how do you bring that individual's uh, motivations? And I'm, I'm going to guess, you know, for a AAA player, they might be um, based on economic success. They might be based on com- uh, competitive drive. How do you align that person's individual motivations with the team being successful? Um, so I think there's, there, 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 there's a couple of things. So if we if if we're talking about you know the company and what the company wants to do as far as what you know we obviously refer to as creating shareholder value and then how that comes back to the customer and then how would we look after our people? There's a couple of different things. So I think first of all, um, there is a key element which should be innate in any salesperson, and that's communication. You need to ensure that everybody that there is clear communication around the mission, what we do, and how we get there as a team, and what expect and, and, and what everyone does. Right? Um, I think that's really important. Um, I think that um, setting those standards about the values that we live by as a culture and organisation is also super important, and that starts the leadership. And I think that. Um, Everyone talks about culture and values and leadership, and I've certainly seen it as well. And um, sometimes, you know, the, people talk the talk but don't walk the walk, and that's when you start seeing some significant cultural issues occur. So I think that you you really have to live by those values and set that down as the baseline of the culture of your organisation. Trust, honesty, respect, these are the three things that I talk about with our people. And humility as well, where you can be. And I think it's really important. You need to have a culture where people can call each other out if they're not showing those. And that can be at any level because um, I've seen some people who actually think they're living by those values but don't, but then can't be called out on it as well. And that's equally bad, right? That, that That's equally an issue. So I think that's super important. So you need to make sure that, 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 that that's – that's being driven. I think that also that, um, you know, mentioning before, like a fish can rot from the head. So you need to lead and embody that by an example, but it also can't be a single point of failure and a single burden. You need to ensure those values and those cultures are driven and delivered by the people around you as well and, and, and count them out for it uh, around that as well. Um, I think that, you know, those, those, those high-performance individuals, uh, as you mentioned, you need to um, – part of your coaching plan with them is to identify what's important for them. Um, you know, John, everyone jumps to the conclusion it could be um, it can be monetarily. But payday is typically one day in 30. And, um, you know, you've got to do something else the other 29. So how do you, how do you ensure that a high-performance individual remains a high-performance individual or remains more importantly fulfilled so they're operating at that level across all facets. Um, so, so you know, building that rapport and that relationship with them is super important and listening to what they are saying and sometimes what they're not saying is equally important because um, it can be that, they're, that they've got a whole bunch of stuff going on in their life which makes them a high-performance individual that you can help them with to help, you know, make their life bigger and more fulfilled around that. It can be that they want to get to somewhere because 
they have a greater need or, or want, or they might just want to continue to be a really good salesperson if you want to help them in other aspects of their career that can help them. So I think, you know, number one, your job is to help, to listen and to help. Um, and there's no hard and fast rule. I think that one of the things that as a leader you have to be aware of if you want to be a leader is that it's mentally it's mental gymnastics because no no person is an individual no person is the same as the other and you actually have to try and you're never going to get it right all the time because we're only human you have to try and communicate engage and deliver each person individually that you can whilst maintaining the overarching strategy of the business and ensuring we retain that shareholder value that can be hard work right that can be really hard work um you know again just to qualify that there is the mission the objective there are the hard things that people know that they want to achieve and they need to achieve in their job the metrics and sales are pretty, pretty simple hit the number achieve this etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's the soft skills metrics and the individual personal achievement goals which actually are going to keep a person engaged in a job, I think, or in a career far longer than just those hard metrics the organisation has. So in helping them down that journey, I think is super important. So it sounds, you mentioned it, it sounds like a real balance, balancing act to understand what they want to achieve out of this, um, this, this place of work. What does the business need to yeah. achieve? What do you need to yeah. achieve? And then trying to balance all those people yeah. in one direction. Yeah, let, let, and let me qualify that, right? There is a span and control issue from a leadership point of view about how many people can you cover on this. A lot of spousing to anything that is, you know, well, you know, you need to know each, you know, I've had sales teams of indirect people when I was at HP and so on, which were, you know, hundreds of people deep as far as line managers are concerned. You're not, you're never going to, you don't, you don't know each of those people individually, but the people in your reporting line, you absolutely should and do need to. And, uh, and typically, if you've got any more than 10 or 11 people in your direct reporting line, you've got a problem in your business because that's about as maximum span and control you can possibly get to. But what I would say is that amongst those other people, you need to make the effort to know who those people are by face, maybe know something about them. Because... You know, when you show that you actually care for that, you know, you know somebody and you, and you know they are, that also goes a long way as part of that culture and that value as well. Oh. Birth <clears throat> it's et cetera. Yeah. How hard does it become when you're balancing those relationships when there's a give and take here between what the individual wants to achieve and what the organisation needs to achieve and there needs to be cohesion? As we've seen in the last 12, 24 months, it's been pretty rough out there and... Um, in some cases with the bigger organizations, shareholder value or business value has meant that there's been job losses, redundancies, um, quotas that have decreased or territories decreased. How difficult yeah. is it as a sales leader and how do you manage to keep, not that this is necessarily um, specific to you, but in those scenarios, how do you manage to keep your people motivated, inspired, and manage all the stakeholders that you need to manage? Yeah, um, it's a really, really good question, and it's the elephant in the room, which is really interesting. Nobody wants to talk about it, but when someone starts talking about it, everyone's got an opinion on it, and it's quite interesting how everyone's opinion pretty much lines up. It's like one of those... It's quite funny how it's one of those things. I'm not sure what it is. Well, I've got a fair a couple of ideas what what it's about. Look, I think there's a couple of things we need to we need to take into account, right? Um, we 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 had an overheated market for a period of time that was initiated by COVID. I think we had um, obviously then, uh, as happens all the time, an overcorrection. And, and a lack of balance in relation to, you know, employees versus employers and meeting in the middle, right? Um, and it's not about power, it's not about control, but, you know, as as, as an employer, uh, as someone who wants to get the best of the people, you, as you know yourself, you know, you got to, we got to a point where the requests and the demands of market were completely out of kilter with the fundamental economics of our industry. Um, there's a lot of reasons and there's a lot of fingers that can be pointed around that that I won't go into today. But essentially, I think that, you know, there were some fundamentals that were that were, that were an issue. Um, you know, hire to just buy was a problem. 
but I'd also say, you know, buyer beware. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, historically, I saw that I've seen this happen a few times. Going backwards in time to the dot-com boom, I remember when the measure of success of valuations of companies was, you know, uh, unique users and impressions. You know, so if you were an online storefront, your measure of success and the value of your business was not by how many people were buying your stuff, but was how many people were looking at your uh, your web page. But the measure of success of a store on Collins Street, Oxford Street, Queen Street, Orchard Road, River Road, in the world as, as a retailer was basically measured upon how many people bought your stuff. So there's a complete mismatch there. And guess what? That all fell apart. So, um, and I remember at the time, people saying, oh, the, the traditional economics have changed. Well, you know, in the last few thousand years, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure the economics have actually really fundamentally changed at the, at the, at the heart of it. Um, that said, though, um, I think that there was a bunch of activity that was going on, which has led people to, be, to, to question what they should be doing and where they should be going and whether the industry is for them. Look, what I'd say is that um, to those people, again, test hard around where you're going to go and work. Think about, you know, the people you're working for, not the paid packet initially, you know, in that context. John, you touched it, right? You know, I'll give anybody the OT they want, but are they going to achieve it? No. Um, you know, it's, it's the metrics of success. Start to understand what is the per revenue, per headcount number going to look like for individual because those are the basic economics that, that, that are there. What is the value of your experience you bring to an organisation that you're bringing, right, um, as well as the uh, the negotiation of what they're going to give you because, again, like I mentioned, that can a little bit countered. Um, but what I will say is that um, I think the good news is that uh, people have got uh, are starting to become more aware of the virtue signalling and some of the commentary that was happening inside organisations that was disingenuous and wasn't at the core of anything other than um, uh, virtue signalling, like I mentioned. And um, getting that balance back, I think, is great, and I think we're getting there and we're seeing that. And at the end of the day, people will have choice about what they do and I see that that is happening in market already. Do you still feel that you still feel confident that a career in tech sales is one of the most fruitful opportunities out there? Absolutely, hundred percent. I think you know you need to look hard at what you're trying to do. Right, long gone are the days of standing by the fax machine waiting for a punch card order or for a server order. As I mentioned before, you know. Um, uh, uh, it's one of the great things about about the sales game is it's a skill based activity, right? When you're good at what you do, I challenge anybody to find me somewhere where they can make as much money as they can in what they do and be as as fulfilled as fulfilled in what they do. Yes, there are other industries you can probably make more money, but everyone I know in those industries are not particularly happy people. But as fulfilled, right? And giving you the depth and breadth of what you can do. A couple of examples, you know. The fact that you need to get deeper and wider in understanding your customer base gives you greater currency in markets. Um, as you go deeper and wider in understanding the market shifts from on-prem to cloud, that gives you greater currency as an individual in markets. The transition from TCV to ACV to SaaS, those people who have transitioned that space early and well, has given them more currency in markets. But what I would say is don't chase the money, chase the career, chase the enjoyment of what you do, and it's easy to say this, and then and, and, and then money will come. But, you know, jumping around thinking that it's going to be easy to get that pre-IPO uh, 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 option grant and you're going to um, make your fortune in the space of two years, is just not the case, right? Everyone hears the great news story, right? What is it, 98.9 or 99% of all those companies fail at some point in time? So I think the most important thing is, um, you know, as I said before, paydays one day and 30. You've got to make sure you enjoy what you do. And, yes, it's a grind. This job can be a grind. I mean, it's amazing highs and shocking lows. But, you know, you've got to love what you do in order to get the most out of it. 
Um, and um, this job has to some, in some degree, have to be a lifestyle choice in what you do as well. The ret- retention we know is is um, way off than what it's been in previous years. Average tenure for salespeople. I mean, I'm I'm newer to the game than yourself, but it's it's pretty low, right? You know, you see a lot yeah. of one year stints, and a lot of that yeah. is due to the the environment. A lot of businesses let people go, but just yeah. anecdotally, whether it's this year or not, I do feel speaking to reps that they they feel tired. They feel they feel they're looking for a role where um, money is everything because they don't feel like there's anything more and I do speak to you know a lot a lot of reps and it seems like that mercenary type um job for them that we're going to get paid the most you know I might get I might get let go I might have a great time but I need to go and earn some money and that that piece that you're talking about where's the value the satisfaction seems to be missing I think for a lot of the a lot of the people I talk to do, can you talk to that and any advice as to how how you go and find that who do you need to look yeah. within do you need to find the yeah. right leader What's missing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it, right? I get it. We, I think everybody deserves a bit more, and by that I mean, I just, I just mean planet Earth. We got locked up for three years. You know, um, you know, some tech companies did well. I get it, but we still were locked up for three years, and we are collaborative species. Um, we all came out of out of COVID, hoping and thinking that it should be a time of. Of, of economic prosperity and growth. We got thrown into a war in the Ukraine. Um, we got thrown into, um, you know, economic turmoil as far as, uh, you know, the macroeconomics as well as the US um, market taking a downturn. All these things have happened. And so it's completely reasonable that people are a bit chocked off, a bit ahead of bit enough of it. But you've, you know, um, you know, there's that great quote, you know, the measure of, Again, apologies. I'll, I'll, I'm going to use the actual quote, but I don't mean anything by it. The measure of the man is not the one who, you know, kind of quits. It's the one who gets up with dust on his face and you know, blood and blood, you know, and blood on his on his knuckles and keeps and keeps punching. Um, no one owes anybody. You know, I think one of the things you come come full circle. Um, I was never brought up with the with with the uh, belief that anyone owed me anything. I had to go and get it. And I think that, you know, if we come back to the theme of your podcast, we talk about high performance people and from your background in sports as well. That's a recurring theme as well. You've got to go and you've got to go and get it. You've got to have that drive. But I will say that you also need to go and seek out the right mentors, the right people to support you doing that, whether it's the Sir Alec Ferguson's from a Manchester United point of view, um, whether it's uh, 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 you know Jos Verstappen um, in Max Verstappen's case, whether it's um, you know Lewis Hamilton's father in his case, you know there's always somebody who is supporting, mentoring, and steering you. And I think that that's that's kind of also the role from a sale, yeah, you know, from a sales leader's point of view. Um, you, you you need to you need to find more in what you do than just going and finding the money because that's very transactional and that doesn't that, that that's not going to give you the want and the need to get out of bed each day and go and slay lions and tigers and want to make a difference right money comes and goes um this may sound glib but you know you can have, make the money and you can go and give it all away at some point in time. God knows that's always the ideal plan and go and sit on the beach. Awesome. But when you reflect back, once you've made the money and done stuff, you know, you've got to have, as, as who we are as people, you want to, you want to, you want to point out you've done a few things. You've done some good stuff that you've, that you, that you how small it might be. You want to, you want to have left some kind of legacy behind in some way, shape, form. from a deal point of view or whatever. There's more to it yeah. than just doing that. So you've got to you, you've got to find that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's this missing part that you've you've um you prompted me on, which is resilience is key in both facets, whether it's sport or sales. We know that to be really successful, to be elite, you need to be resilient, you need to be self-driven. I think the difference though is that, that we're finding is that in sport that tends to be nurtured. Yeah, right? even agreed. if you are very self-driven and it's an individualistic pursuit, you're still part of the team, you've been rewarded for adding to it, whereas right? I feel in sales, some of these people are thinking, okay, well, I will get up and I will drive myself and I will take ownership, but 
Yeah. I don't owe anybody. I don't owe anybody anything, including my organisation, because it's an individual uh, yeah. pursuit. And that's yeah. why people become burnt out because they don't. They're not feeling the satisfaction of being part of something. So it, yeah. it seems to me like that's, and that's why they're they're staying in a job for a year and then trying to find the next one. The next one will, will make me whole. Yeah. It'll make me feel it. Yeah. So there's a real part missing there. How how do how do reps go and find the right mentor? Because in an interview, right, someone might say, "Look, I'm a mentor, and I'm I, I want to help you." How do you really go and qualify it on the right well, path? Yeah, let, let me unwind a couple of steps, right? So there's 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 a couple of things that I think that needs to be that that that, that is a um, a collaborative transaction here between both sides because you know when you're looking when you're going for a job in sales whatever it might be and someone is hiring you I think it's really important that both sides understand that this is to find out if both sides work together. This isn't a master-slave scenario. People have choice. And that's got that's got forgotten a bit. Like I said, we've over-rotated a bit down one way, right? And, and employees, it, it was over-rotated. And employers were trying to give everything to everyone, and we, and we didn't meet in the middle. So I think that, first of all, you need to do your homework, right? You need to use your network, that you have. So depending on where where you are in your career, if you're early in career and you are looking for a job, I think it's really important that you, if you're looking for a job in tech sales and perhaps you have no experience in tech sales, you need to go and seek the information and all people around you. And there are some great tools to do that that never existed 25, 30 years ago. Whatever people think of LinkedIn, you can still find you can still find those nuggets of gold in what can otherwise appear to be a, you know, uh, a platform of, of of virtue signaling and self gratification and all the other stuff that I think has been part of the issue that you and I are, are alluding to. That's that's been a bit of a problem. So you can certainly go and find that. I put my hand up and say, feel free to reach out to me at any time. I'm more than happy where I can to spend 15, 20 minutes of half an hour speaking to somebody to get involved. Um, I would also suggest that. You know, find um, uh, uh, recruitment agents are, are are great, and I don't say this because I'm on the podcast with you, John Joe. I mean, you know, in my experience, I have seen and sought re- recruitment consultants early in my career who also were able to help me understand and formulate where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. One of those is a guy called Stan Relahan, who is still about 25 years ago. You know, he was the man, right? And I was able to use him from an advice point of view to get advice, right? And so you need to find those people who can do that for you. That's super important. Um, You need to do your homework, right? You need to do your homework around the companies you want to go for and go and work for. And then you need to ask the questions of the people you're you're going through that interview around those things, such as the mentoring, such as what's in it for me? How am I going to be developed? What do you see for me in the future? And see if the person who's interviewing you is asking you about you. And in that context, I mean, where do you see yourself? What do you want to be? What makes you successful? What does good look like for you? Because too many times it's a rapid one-way scenario. What are you bringing for me? What's your success criteria? Where have you been successful? I see you've only had a tenure for one year. Yeah, ask the same question. Well, you know, why is this job available? I see the person who had this job has only had that job for one year. Why are they leaving? You know, you, you know, ask those questions. There's nothing wrong with that. You need everyone puts their trousers on one leg at a time. Everybody's a human <laughs> held an account on both sides. Um, I was thinking of one other thing as well, which is just escaped me. Um, um, yeah, and, and, and <coughs> seek out the people. Seek out the people and seek out those relationships. I want to add to that as well, just to plug the recruiters, Matt, but, but, but to do that as well, I think you need leverage, right? And you need currency. And when you're looking for a job, it can be the hardest time to have that to go in and really be considered about um, who you work for. Because when you need a role and you've got a mortgage to pay, even if you're a bit iffy sometimes, you might take the role, right? So you need to go in there. And I think the best time is to, like I mentioned, have your, your ear open to a good recruiter when you're performing well when you're doing well so that you, you can go out there and have those conversations and be pipelined options as opposed to be really knee-jerk and needing a job because your your leverage then with that employer is less. Would you agree? Yeah, with that? yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, 
you know, um, there are fans, there, are, there, there are a lot of really good employers out there and I've been lucky enough to have to work with some of the best. Um, but what I'll say within those employers, it's working for, it's the manager I worked for that was actually um, the supercharger on top of that V8 engine, you know, that made the difference in those organisations. And when I didn't have a good manager in those organisations, no matter how great the underlying support network of that organisation was, it really showed how important having an ally- having alignment with your manager is. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends, but you need to have alignment. You need to have clarity of conversation. You need to understand where you both stand. And, and, and you know, there's no dumb, I mean, in my opinion, there's no, a dumb question. I always implore upon my people, training as an example. You know, what is it people people only take in 20% of what they get, what they what, what gets delivered to them? So I think that you've got to have an environment where um the last thing you want is people waking up every morning worried about whether they're gonna whether their job is at risk because they've got some kind of aberrant manager or leader who is um, vol- who they can't measure or pick there is nothing worse if you're in those environments i would say you deserve better because your mental health will suffer as a result as well so you know really important to pick um where you are who you're doing it with and making sure that there is alignment culturally with both the organization and the person and and that's perhaps an area that i think the organization sometimes miss sometimes miss on one of the probably top two or three reasons a rep would join a business and stay and be successful is the person they report to the manager yeah. right but when businesses yeah. go to market with their evp they rarely talk about who the leader is so what we often say is go and meet this person and you'll yeah. change your mind that tends to be the yeah that, that, yeah, that yeah, tends to be the way yeah. to get people in yeah and you know um you know, you kind of see, you mentioned at the beginning high power. No, no, just um, you know, I just still think I'm a 22 year old rep. Unfortunately, you know, if I go out with a client, sometimes the next morning I certainly remember I'm not a 22 year old rep anymore. So <laughs> you know, um, but you know, look, you know, and also everyone take a beat. We're not curing cancer. Yeah, we're not solving peace in the Middle East. You know, it's really important that you either we find some joy in what we do or that you part what you do and find joy elsewhere, you know, outside of your work as well. Um, that's a really important, important thing as well. How would you define elite performance? Um, I was thinking about this, right, and you mentioned it before, and, and again, you know, I... I'm not a fan of this word because it appears to have been the key word of 22 and 23 resilience, um, you know, post-COVID, but it is. I mean, the, the ability to get up and to dust yourself off and to continue on that path and to better yourself and an unwavering need to refine uh, and improve your craft in what you do and being consistent and disciplined in what you do it's that is what it's about right i think about whether it's david beckham spending hours and hours and hours after you know after training perfecting you know his you know his 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 free kick i think about whether um it was uh you know um uh, anybody in sport who has to spend all those countless hours grafting and grinding away um, it's because of that resilience, that consistency, and that discipline, and that unwavering need to continue to refine and improve your craft. Um, everybody sees the success. Everyone sees the, the holding up of the trophy. Everyone forgets the, the 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 graft and the years that go before that. You know, I'm a big fan of lots of sports. I played a lot of rugby when I was younger. Um, uh, and that is a very physical game that I still carry the in injuries for but you have to love it to enjoy it um i used to go to the bridge sorry john joe you know i used to go to stanford bridge as a kid in the 80s when chelsea was the bottom of division two and chelsea was so poor for those in the podcast they had a dog track 
that ran around the outside of the bridge. Right. Uh, and uh, back in the day, the National Front, for those joining the call who wouldn't know the National Front, was if you were the home game, you had to have to arrive on the Edgeware Roadside with the uh, with the with with the horse police, and the other side would be and the opposing team would be on the other, because otherwise Edgeware Road would end up on fire and uh, and riots. So the good old so talk about resilience. Resilience in the eighties as an eight-year-old going to football with your father, uh, having to be uh, run, run the gauntlet. That, that certainly proves some resilience to us. Anyway, so I mean, you know, doing anything well requires a lot of the hard work and the graft in the background. But um, uh, one of the things I'll say about that is that um, when you find a skill and you have a skill in sales, you know, there's the EQ and the IQ side, right? So one of the things I, I always look at is um, the IQ is always implicit with the people that, that when, I, when I'm interviewing people or meeting people. Um, the one thing I look for people to sum them up in the right person is are they naturally curious? I kind of mentioned that before in everything they do. You know, I can teach someone the manual, but I can never teach someone something they don't want to do, right? Um with the right mindset, you can de you develop that skill. I mean, again, think about Cristiano Ronaldo. Think about Lewis Hamilton. Think about Max Verstappen. Yeah, from the age of four or five, they had a natural God-given talent. But that talent had to be refined. There's lots of people out there who squander their talent because they don't enjoy it. They find other things, whatever it might be. But to find a talent and to nurture it, makes things a lot easier as well. So when you find that talent and you're able to love that talent, don't squander it. Use it and enjoy it. Because then it's not a job. We kind of mentioned before. <clears throat> it becomes a passion and a lifestyle. Um, and I'm not suggesting that everyone wants to go sell stuff 24 hours a day, but the natural curiosity, the actual enjoyment of being with customers, the craft of getting, you know, of, of, of providing choice, being the choice for your clients, the ability to do those things, and then as you move and progress, you know, developing talent, enjoying that talent. You know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to enjoy that. You've got to have that as you, you've got, you've, you've got to want to do that because otherwise, you know, it, it becomes a, you know, all work and no. If, if that's all work and that's not part of your play as well, you become a very dull boy or girl. It, is that mantra something you have to constantly remind yourself of, Matt, or is it pretty ingrained now that you've been so, in the trenches? That that mantra so, yeah. as to how you how you approach work and life is that something that you need to remind yourself of and go within, uh, or is it something? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right? yeah, of, yeah. Of course. I mean, it's interesting. You know, again, coming full circle, my parents kind of kind of instilled with me this passion about yeah, you got to you should really love what you do. But I mean, look, you know, I'm going to call a spade a shovel. Not every day is rosy and fantastic, but there are days, you know, there, 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 there are days when you have got so much on and you have a bunch of stuff in your diary that is the one-on-one -on -one stuff and you go, oh, I really don't, I, I don't want to, I, I want to, you have to remind yourself, that's the discipline, right? That's that's the ideal and the, and, and the position where you've got to understand that it's a selfless activity, right? It's not a selfish activity, Um uh, and I think that's an interesting point, again, when you're looking at different people and who they are in what they do in their career in sales. Um, this uh, Western ideal, and you see it in some, some Asian cultures as well, where success is measured by moving up the food chain is something we need to dispel, right? We really do. You know, going from being, a you know, um, a junior, a BDR, a, a, an account executive, you know, an account manager, a sales manager, you know, if I'm not this level by this age and then I've not been successful, is absolute horse poo, right? It's just not the case. We have to dispel, dispel that rumour in this industry. I think that's you see that more in the United States where it's been dispelled. Super successful salespeople, super successful people in whatever you do is being a master of your art and your craft, um, and uh, that's a really important thing. You know what? Um, some people would argue with me, but I think I'm probably better at what I do doing this than I perhaps was as a individual contributor. I was pretty successful, for sure. I think I was pretty lucky as well, frankly. But, um, uh, but you know, 
my my passion is people building businesses taking things from startup to to execution it's not for everybody some days it's certainly not for me either <laughs> but um but that's really my but what but my passion is 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 that yeah the people the building of that helping mentor build those deals see people be successful see them then move into other roles be more successful do other things pay the house off whatever it might be all that stuff is super important um uh, from my point of view that's just my personal do you see Ellie being translated to other parts of your life outside sales? Do you, do you think about it that way? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, look, I think that that's a very, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, that, that's a big amorphous question. You know, you've got um, a young, a, you know, a young child, another on the way, and it's an amazing time. I'm lucky enough to have a 19 year old son and a 15 year old, 16 year old daughter, um, my son's away at university. He's back at the moment. My daughter's just finished year ten. Um, I think that uh, my I consider my wife to be the elite performer in our relationship with the, with 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 the kids. Everyone needs to have that elite performer. Um, I try my best to be there, but I'm not going to pretend in any way, shape, or form I am. I think that you know, again, it's really important that people are vulnerable and real about stuff. You know, you see the stuff on LinkedIn. I get up at three a.m. and run a half marathon before we. I mean, like, really? Does anybody? Does anybody actually believe this stuff? Because I think what it does is it creates a false narrative, which then makes people feel that they are no good at what they do because they're trying to hit these up, these 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 unreal expectations that no one can sit can can sit behind. We're all, we're all we're all flawed. We all have good days and bad days. None of us are perfect in any way. Um, I think at the core of it is that, you know, if we put our best foot out, we put our best foot forward, we do our best, we get we, we, we give to get, um, we 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 pay it forward, um, is super important as well as as people. But again, that's kind of me on a bit of philosophical uh rant. I think that one of the things that I try and do. Uh, from my point of view, and I think from what I would say from a sales and just, just from a general, from a leadership point of view, is just trying to keep it real. Um, I try and know when to have fun with my team and my people and just be one of them because we all are at the end of the day, we're all the same. But then how but but then knowing when that they know when we are in business and it's forecast and it's time to do that, they know the hierarchical scenario of how we operate perhaps that's the difference between leadership and management i don't know um but i think it's one of the things that i the the the, the, the that i want to do and, and try and do because it's, yeah, it's, it's it's good fun what we do is fun yeah it sounds like you certainly embody that and and it seems to me that that dualism between the high power high stress um neo capitalism the western world and being able to balance that with the philosophy and just realizing you know it's not everything it's not you know as you mentioned you're not curing yeah. cancer that, that seems yeah. elite to me to be honest that yeah. seems like a good definite definition of elite well i appreciate that and i mean you know routine is important you know um but again i'm not going to espouse that you know everyone's going to you live like a monk and that you know because again it's just not real um, everyone's going to have their own their, their own way of operating and doing things. I mean, what I do because of the time zone and stuff, I'm, I'm fairly structured in what I do. You know, I'm up relatively early, uh, but you know, I catch up on the overnight world news, what's happening from a macro point of view. I always exercise um, whenever I can, wherever I can. Get get through my email early because my definition that's not part of my day. That's not my job, right? Going through email, the old inbox and outbox. Um, if it's Wednesdays or Fridays, there's forecasting internal meetings that the team know we need to have. I mean, sure, we do regional town halls, fortnightly, where everyone gets together and doing stuff. But the rest of my Mondays and all days, Tuesdays and Thursdays are for external meetings and supporting our team. It's super important. But I think it's also that you take a break as well, right? Um, you, you need to stop and think and strategize, think about stuff and step away. Read a different book, listen to some music, do a word or whatever it is. Do nothing. Hell at the moon. Go and grab a beer, whatever. I don't care. But you've got to balance that stuff out, right? It's really important um, that you find that. Amazing. Matt, it's been fascinating to uh, uncover you on the Elite Performance Podcast. So um, thank you so much. And uh, you mentioned if there are any aspiring or current reps that, you know, looking to get any advice, I'm sure they can check you out on LinkedIn and maybe connect with you at some point. Like I said, absolutely. Uh, my time zones are fairly dis disparate, but you know, I, you know, um, 
it's super important that you pay it back and I'll always make the time to connect with people to have that conversation. So anybody wants to wants to hit me up, yeah. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, message me, et cetera. Um, you know, it's uh, it'd be my pleasure to to give a little bit back. And I was to have you on. Thanks again, Matt. My pleasure, mate. Really appreciate it. Again, Merry Christmas to you, to your listeners, to your viewers, and wishing everyone a successful 2024 because we actually really deserve it after the grind of 2023. So uh, wishing you all an awesome, awesome uh, uh, Christmas and, and 2024.